The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey everybody, happy Thursday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show here on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. Got a lot to talk about on the program. Coming up a little bit later on, some thoughts about two cultural phenomena taking place this evening. One, of course, the opening of the new Marvel film, Avengers Endgame. People will be there at midnight as this opens. They're expecting to pull in about a billion bucks over the weekend for this. Supposed to be the largest opening in history. In fact, with pre-sales, it's almost guaranteed to be, which is really, really remarkable. So do me a favor, don't spoil it for me. Also happening tonight, the NFL Draft. And I've got some thoughts on the draft. Why this is popular, I'm not exactly sure. So I'll think about that. And then I'll get back to you on that one a little later. But first... I want to have a conversation based on something that uh, I was reading about this morning. Franklin Graham, the son of uh, legendary televangelist Billy Graham, made some remarks about Pete Buttigieg yesterday, of course the Democratic candidate for president, suggesting that Mr. Buttigieg needs to repent for the sin of homosexuality and the fact that he is married to another man. I'll have some thoughts about that. A talk with a pastor, a Methodist minister, who's got some thoughts on this man named Jerry Herships. He's an author and uh should be a good conversation, so please stick around for that on the Craig Folly Show here on Deadline Detroit. Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the show on this Thursday. I really do appreciate it. And uh, you know, I woke up this morning and read something in one of the papers that uh, troubled me just a little bit, more than just a little bit. It, it was something that harkened back to a, a day that, frankly, I don't think we need to go back to. But it was Franklin Graham, who, of course, is the son of the late Billy Graham, legendary televangelist, who many of us have, have known for. He was the advisor to I can't tell you how many presidents, basically everybody from Nixon forward uh, before he passed away. I was even present at the opening of the Billy Graham Library down in Charlotte, North Carolina, when that happened several years ago. And there were four living presidents who were at that press conference. That's how important Billy Graham was, how many people listened to his message and how many people took his words as, quote unquote, the gospel. Well, his son Franklin has taken a bit of a different tack. Yes, he's following in his father's footsteps in terms of televangelism and, and trying to spread the word of God. But at the same time, he has delved far more deeply into the world of partisan politics than his father ever has. Now, clearly, the Republicans are a little bit worried about the momentum of Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who is now a Democratic candidate for president of the United States. He's been getting a lot of attention. He's been trying to reclaim some of that religious territory from the right by professing himself to be a man of faith and talking openly about his spirituality, which is not something a lot of Democratic candidates have been willing to do over the past few decades. Well, clearly, Franklin didn't like that, didn't like to cede any of that ground. So he went in front of a group of people yesterday and said it is time for Pete Buttigieg to repent for being a gay man and for being married to a man. Where are we when it comes to religion and politics, this sort of toxic mix that we're seeing right now? What can be done to bring people back to the real message of the faith? And that is, of course, according to most of us, to love one another and to recognize that all of us are individuals. All of us are flawed. None of us are perfect. Not casting that first stone. All these good things. Well, I couldn't think of a better person to talk to uh, than Jerry Herships. He, of course, is a minister, a Methodist minister out in Denver, Colorado. But there's a reason we're talking to him. He is from Detroit. He is also married to my cousin, 
but he does fantastic work. After Hours Denver is something that he does where he actually holds services in a bar, which is where people are. And he's authored two wonderful books uh, that we will talk about in a little bit uh, that take a look at faith from a more modern approach and, and frankly, an approach that takes a look at how faith fits into contemporary society. Jerry Herships, welcome to the Craig Folly Show. A long introduction, but I appreciate you being with me today. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. It's great to be on. Well, you know, and like I said, we will get to Rogue Saints in just a little bit. I think uh, I think it's a wonderful book, um, and uh, you know, you've been doing some cool stuff. Uh, but you know, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because you've been very, very outspoken on social media recently uh, about the the stance that the Methodist Church has taken in regards to in regards to gay marriage, in regards to same sex couples, and you've been very, very critical of the fact that your church has not stepped forward in terms of uh, into the era of modernity, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, and have been very troubled by this. And it's, it's, it's sort of shaken you in terms of your faith in the institution of the Methodist church, not in terms of your, your faith. That's not what I'm trying to suggest. Um, but is, is this just sort of a continuation of, of some of the divisive stuff we've been seeing when it comes to religion and politics recently? You know, it, it, that's a great question and a, a really good point. We're so often we see these two mirror each other and there is a, uh, I will just name it as an ugliness uh, that seems to be pervasive in society, and it's being reflected in in the current scenario at the, in the UMC Church. Uh, the the rules that were on our books uh, were put in place uh, 47 years ago, and we're allowed every four years to have we have a general conference, and the, the language in those books can get changed. And we've been trying every four years since then to change that language, and basically. I came to a head in this last year where they had a special conference just to address the issue of homosexuality uh, in, in what we call the Book of Discipline. And um, at this point, the United Methodist Church is a global church. And as a global church, it gets everybody gets to vote all over the world. And a lot of the folks that are in other places uh, have a more conservative view. And, and their mission feels very different than mine here in Denver, Colorado. But what has happened is it's it's put some teeth to some of the rules that were in this book of discipline, and it's it's gotten really ugly. In fact, the judicial council is is voting as we speak. Literally, uh, they wrap up tomorrow to decide if what was voted in uh, is even constitutional according to church law. So uh, it seems like there is a focus right now on people's sexuality that just leaves me baffled when I consider that. There's thousands that don't have clean water uh, as close as Flint. And there's people all over the world that walk five miles for clean water. And there's women and children and, and kids that are dying. And yet this is what we choose to focus on as a church. It it blows my mind. Well, you know, again, and, and it's one of those things. I am not a particularly religious man. You know this about me. We've had conversations sure. about this. But, you know, what I do know is that a lot of the messages that we're getting when it comes to morality, especially when it comes to political morality and, and you know, which party is going to be, I guess, the party of God is, is a lot of it is focused on negativity as opposed to the positive works that are being done by people of faith all over the world. Yes, without question. I mean, I think so much of of how we decide to view the world is which lens are we going to look through? And we can see right now that uh, fear mongering is, uh, is doing sort of a bang up job, both in the church and in politics. And to me, that is the antithesis of love. And quite frankly, the antithesis of the, the gospel of Jesus. I mean, God is love. It tells us right in the book, it's a short sentence. It's only three words. 
And I think fear is exactly the opposite of that. And there's people that understand if you can get to people's fears, then you can get their vote. And it, it's heartbreaking right now. I should remind folks, my guest right now is Jerry Herships. He is a Methodist minister. And of course, he uh, has a wonderful uh, event called After Hours Denver, where he preaches. Well, it doesn't necessarily preach. I wouldn't say that's the right word. But there are discussions of faith that take place in bars around Denver, Colorado, which is a great place to do it. Go to where the people are. Right, Jerry? Uh, But also, he's authored two books. The first was Last Call, From Serving Drinks to Serving Jesus. The second, which is relatively new, is called Rogue Saints, Spirituality for Good-Hearted Heathens. I want to get to that for just a second, because it seems to me that that's sort of the nature of the conversation we're having right now. Good-hearted heathens, people wanting to do the right thing without necessarily having that doctrinal direction from, from a church in this day and age. You know, where are people when it comes to wanting to follow the word of God, but not necessarily wanting to follow it to the letter, like we might see by those strict interpretationalists of, of you know, the New Testament? Right. I, I, I think... the <clears throat> the uh, the impetus of the book was simple. It was having I was a bartender for ten years, and had a lot of conversations about God and spirituality. And even to this day, very few people um, that I've talked to have a hard time with the concept of God and the concept of doing good. But they struggle a lot with with religion and religious authorities and organized religion. And you know, I, the only word of solace I can give is, you know, well, good. So did Jesus. You know, it, the harshest words Jesus had for anybody in the Bible were the religious authorities. And so to me, I think there's a whole group of people that we see that go, look, I I, I get that there's something bigger. I know that there's something um, I want to do to make the world a better place. I just really struggle with the institution. And so how do we go about helping people find that thing that will connect them to However, they want to term it, the the holy, the sacred uh, God, whatever language they want to use. How do we get them to connect? And is there a way to do it that's outside of going to a certain place at a certain time on a certain day in a certain room with a certain usually straight white middle aged guy telling them what to think? And I think there is. I, I, I really honestly think there are a multitude of ways to connect to something bigger. Well, you know, Jerry, it, it certainly seems as if, you know, a, a lot of the adherence to the faith uh, and people's, you know, reasons for adhering strictly to a faith are, are fear of some sort of consequences later on, shall we say, or fear of a certain place that they might be going to if they don't follow these things by the letter of the law. And that is something that has kept people in line. But you're dealing with people that, are, again, are spiritual. They've got some sort of of, mm-hmm. of faith system, belief right. system, it doesn't necessarily fit into one dogmatic viewpoint. Uh, how do you get people to sort of embrace the fact that they may have questions and there is a place for them, regardless of whether or not they're going to, you know, listen to somebody like Franklin Graham that tells them that they're a bad person? Yeah, I, I think, you know, part of the reason we did the work in the in the bars is it, you know, the, the most uh, basic one logistically was I, I was comfortable there. I'd done stand up for a long time and bartender for a long time. And and I truly believe that the idea is you go to where the people are, as you said earlier. And I think so often, you know, we can see these huge churches that really use, as I said earlier, fear as the motivator. It's like, look, stay in line, stay lockstep, or you're going to have some flames licking your feet. And I just don't buy that. It seems to me that if God is an all loving God, the idea of tormenting somebody for eternity, you know, you and I, we, we surely aren't God and uh, we wouldn't do that to our worst enemy. <laughs> well, why would we think that God would? 
It, it, it just defies logic to me. And so, you know, I, we lay that out pretty clean and I do the same thing in, in rogue saints in the book. I don't buy into this concept of hell and boy, Franklin Graham is going to be ringing my phone any second. Now I'm well, yeah. well, get on his radar. It might not be a bad thing in terms of, <laughs> right. of increasing the flock, so to speak, right. but, right. but, but Jerry, I mean, it seems to me that this is sort of an untapped world out there of, of people that again are, they, they are rejecting organized religion. We're seeing, we're seeing the decline in numbers sure. of people that are going to church every Sunday or Saturday or Friday nights, whenever you decide to go, whatever your faith determines that you go. Um, and you're also seeing people who are more willing to take in these concepts on, on a broader level, as opposed to just one narrow view of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about, you know, sort of opening people's minds to the concept that, Hey, you know, Buddhism's got some interesting ideas in there. If they were Absolutely. raised say, as a, as a Baptist. Yeah. I, you know, at after hours, uh, there's folks that go to Catholic mass on Sunday and come to after hours on Monday. There's folks that, that, that go to their Methodist church on Sunday and sing in the choir and then come on Monday. We have a plethora of folks that are pretty much from the Island of misfit toys. I mean, they're, they're welders and cops and truck drivers and, and strippers. And they're folks that that traditional church didn't fit for. And yet, when we go down to the park, they're the first ones handing out the lunches to the homeless. And to me, this, this, underpinning of, you know, how do we treat people with kindness and compassion and love? You know, the, the, the Protestant or the Catholic Church, we don't have a monopoly on that. I mean, every major faith tradition on the planet would agree with leading with love and compassion and kindness. So we've found there's, there's people that go to after hours that are atheists and agnostics. And they go, look, I, here's what I'm down for. I'm down with trying to put more love in the world. And I'm okay with having a community because God knows People need community these days more than ever. And so if we can provide those things, we tell people, you know, we do two things well. We are a community and we serve our community. If if your faith community disappears and your bigger community has no idea, then you are doing something wrong. Well, you know, but, but that's obviously a message that a lot of people who mess, you know, aren't necessarily religious love hearing from you know, the religious community, because the messages they've been getting over the course of the last couple of decades, especially when it comes to politics, is that, you know, one side has a monopoly on morality and the rest of them are a bunch of heathens. And, and, you know, if you want the the candidate that God likes, you know, vote this way. Are people rejecting this wholesale these days? And and especially when it comes to the younger people you're dealing with. Right. Well, I, I specifically, I really do believe that, that sort of, uh, the progressive voice needs to be a little bit louder out there. I, I'm not sure why it's not. I, I because you hit it right on the head. There is there's a microphone there, and only one side seems to be using it. And people have made the determination that that is equal to having a religious uh, faith, having a having an upbringing that tells you no. Apparently, what he said is is the way they think. It's not. And sadly, we we don't have enough voices that are willing to speak up and lead with love and compassion as opposed to lead with fear. And I really think, especially now when we've got so many uh, you know millennials that are are working hard and we see their numbers declining like crazy as far as going to church, that a lot of them are like, look, I want to see the church roll up its sleeves and get its hands dirty uh, in the practice of love and what that looks like. And I would say 90 percent of the people that go to after hours are between 25 and 35 because they they want to see it in the real. They one of the guys down in the park says he goes, you know, other people talk about it, you be being about it. And I love that. I I want people to see it because for a lot of folks, 
they've heard the verbiage. They've, they've heard the pitches. They've heard all that crap. And to them, they're just like, it's just more noise. I want to see you live this out. There's a theologian named uh, uh, Peter Rollins out of Belfast. And uh, he, he says it in such a great brog. He says, I don't care what you believe. I want to know how your beliefs function. And to me, that's the core of it. Show me how what you believe changes the world and puts more love into it. If you can show me that, that's great. A lot of times what we're seeing is religion putting more hatred, more divide, more anger, more us and them. And to me, that's the antithesis of the message of the Bible. A lot of that, though, it seems to me, Jerry, is sort of geared towards this notion of of flexing political muscle. Uh, mm. Showing that you have influence, making sure that, uh, you know, your candidate gets elected so you can get the right Supreme Court justices put on or, you know, for mm. things along mm. those lines, you know, but at what point does this, and, and this is sort of a difficult question here, but at mm. what point does this, you know, fealty to a Donald Trump, somebody who has clearly shown himself to be not the most moral person in the world, especially right. from the evangelical community, is there a potential backlash that they could be facing on this? Because the hypocrisy is just, it, it, it's appalling. It is appalling. And and I, I have to be very cognizant that, that I watch the news for a prescribed amount of time and then turn it off because it's easy to filter the world through that lens. And and I think too often it's it's really easy to find yourself feeling almost helpless that these decisions are made at some higher level and, and we don't have a voice. And I think what I've discovered, at least with after, you know, somebody said to me, they go, Jerry, if if you had first told me, hey, you know, I need you to come down to the park and to come down to the park and hand out lunches and it's going to take about 10 minutes uh, and I need you to do it for the next eight years. He said, I would, have, I would have been running in the opposite direction. He goes, no, that's what ended up happening. And as a result, we fed a quarter million people. But it was because of what we decided to do and pack one single lunch. Too often we want to watch the news, shake our heads and go, damn, wish there was something I could do. And truthfully, Everybody can do that, but it's only got to be on a gradual level. It's got to be on this level of what can I do in my circle of influence, in my reach, to, to make this a more loving and kind place. If I can do that, I mean, that's the whole concept of after hours. And it's, we didn't know if it would last a year. And it's going on 10. And so I think rather than look out and say, look at those people, and I wish I had control over what they're doing, it's much easier and much more empowering to say, the hell can I do? Yeah, on my neck of the woods, can I can I shovel the walk of the person next to me? Can I can I help get groceries for somebody that's a, that's housebound and can't get out? Can I do just those little things that make a difference? Because I guarantee those acts of service are the things that that shift your lens, that changes the way that you're going to view things. Of course, politics is all about taking a bunch of those little lenses and putting them together for something good. And I I absolutely believe with my soul that there's more of those folks that want to do that good and see the hypocrisy and are saying this, we're done. We are done with this. Well, we'll have to leave it right there for today. Jerry Herships, we certainly appreciate your time. Jerry is, of course, a Methodist minister, also the author of Rogue Saints, Spirituality for Good-Hearted Heathens and Last Call. From seeing uh, serving drinks to serving Jesus, uh, and I have to remind people once again, he is married to my cousin Laura and is a wonderful guy. We appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Craig. Appreciate being on. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, 
one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey, thanks everybody for checking out the show today. I do appreciate it. Don't forget, you can always reach out to me. Send me an email to thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and of course, Facebook, and even LinkedIn. And you can send me messages on LinkedIn if you have the premium membership. Seems like that more people would take advantage of that if it was free. But hey, what are you, what are you going to do? Uh, LinkedIn did just open their office downtown yesterday, so I can't be too hard on them. Welcome to Detroit LinkedIn. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about, of course, what's going on tonight. Many of you are breathless with anticipation for the new Avengers movie. Going to be there at midnight tonight. And again, don't spoil it for me, but uh, I'm just shocked at how many people are just geeked about this and how many people will be there. Even people I know to be serious movie people, film buffs, are going to see this because of the spectacle and, and, uh, you know, the the hype that's surrounding it. And a lot of people have been waiting a long time through, I don't know, what, 20 Marvel movies or something like that to get to this point. And they say that this is the end game, but I have the strange feeling that there's going to be a lot more Marvel films to come after this. And I know a lot of people are very, very excited about it, and I will go see it eventually, so don't spoil it, like I said. But there's something else going on tonight that is getting a, a ton of media attention as well, and does every single year, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what is so exciting about this. And it's the NFL Draft. The NFL Draft. Think about this. From the day that the Super Bowl ends... The end of Super Bowl Sunday, the talk immediately shifts to the NFL draft. And even though we have the NHL happening, the NBA happening, Major League Baseball is underway, the NFL draft consumes so much of the sports media's attention. And the thing is, people can speculate all they want about who these teams might pick, who's going to be the first pick in the draft, whose stock is rising, whose is dropping. And the fact is, it's all just that. It's speculation. It's like pre-election talk, but a lot more boring. Because there's no polling data to suggest what's going to happen, where people are leaning, what they're going to do. It's not as if these teams are going to give you any real information about who they're interested in, unless it's an obvious fit. Like typically the worst team in the league needs a quarterback, so they'll pick the best quarterback in the draft in the first pick, and we know who that's going to be. But everything after that seems to just go out of whack because trades happen. People move up, they move down. Player stock goes up, it goes down. We don't know what's going to happen. And maybe that's part of the excitement. But the draft itself to me is one of the most boring things you could ever watch. It's basically the same talking heads you've heard pontificating about this stuff for the last three months. Sometimes you don't know what the heck they're talking about. And I think we all know which of these draft quote-unquote experts I'm talking about here. Why they're famous, I don't know because they're so often wrong about this kind of stuff. But basically, all you're doing is watching footage of team executives sitting in a room somewhere with a bunch of phones, trying to make a deal or swing a deal or doing something or talking to the player they're getting ready to draft. And then other cameras set up in some kid's living room somewhere. If he's going to be a first or a second pick in the draft, makes a big difference in terms of how much money they're going to make. But, you know, they see them taking the phone call from the team and everybody's like, yay. But they have so much time in between these picks. They've stretched out the first round to three hours. And the first night is just the first round. And then tomorrow we'll get second and third round. And then all the other rounds come another day after that. So they stretch this out for maximum viewership. And all I'm suggesting is I don't get it. I like football. I love the Lions. And I do care about who they pick. But I'll tell you what, I can find out tomorrow. I can find out on Twitter. I do not need to be subjected to three hours of this inanity that is all of this stuff. And I get why people like it. I do. I, I Maybe I do. I don't know. But it's not for me. If you're watching the draft tonight and this is like, you know, your your holiday and for Lions fans, this is as close to the Super Bowl as many of us ever get. 
Well, good. Have fun. Enjoy it. I really hope you do. Have a couple of beers, watch the draft, and enjoy it. But I, I just I'm trying to figure out why this has become such the spectacle. And I have to give it to the NFL for finding a way to keep themselves relevant even when it's the off season. Other sports are envious of your ability to capture people's attention even when there aren't any games on the field. And the NFL is so good that people cared more about the upcoming draft and the speculation about the draft than they did about another league of football that came and went this season. Actual football was being played, but nobody was watching it because they were paying attention to a draft that was coming up two months later. That just blows my mind. And it's, it's, it's amazing what the NFL has been able to do with this and turn it into what it is. I don't get it. If you do and you think I'm full of it, well, that's fine. Let me know. You can always do that. But enjoy yourself tonight. I don't care that you like it. I think it's great that you do. And if you love the draft, have fun with it. I'll find out what happened tomorrow, and we can talk about whether or not the Lions improved themselves and all that debate that's going to go on. And I probably will have somebody on to chat about that in the next couple of days. But, hey, in the meantime, you watch for me. Tweet me. Let me know who the Lions pick, all right? Hey, thanks, everybody, for watching or listening or whatever it is you're doing to this program today. Listening, typically, which I appreciate very much. Uh, Don't forget, like I said, tomorrow... We've got a cool thing happening. It is the week that was. Nancy Derringer and Alan Lingle from Deadline Detroit will be joining me to talk about the big stories on Deadline this week, the stuff that you guys were most interested in. We'll get into all of that on tomorrow's show. So join us. I'll do a live Facebook of of that. And of course, I'll make it available on YouTube as well at both Deadline's page and on my own YouTube page. and, And it'll be available as a podcast as well. So we have a lot of fun doing that. And I think you'll enjoy it as well. Maybe even learn a little something. That's always the goal. We'll talk tomorrow. See you then. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurlianchik, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Andy Lisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Mel Town from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Hart. Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan Science Center. Arts Beats and If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's arts and entertainment scene.